This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News, your nexus for magic news. I'm Jank E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. The last two weeks of magic have been surprisingly packed with both bad and good news. That being said, we feel it would be out of character for us to start the episode off by ruining our streak of wondering why people use their brains the way that they do. So, without further ado, our top story. A new main character of MTG Twitter appeared, and as always, that was terrible news for them. That's right. No one wants to be the main character on Twitter. Nitpicking Nerds released a tweet saying that they feel it would be prudent for Magic players to disclose that they're playing with illegal cards before a game starts. This was seemingly based on a game had by one of the hosts, in which their opponent did not disclose they were playing with proxies. While we are not going to get into the proxy discourse ourselves, as we just don't have the time, the tone towards them has shifted to be more open as long as people aren't using them simply to pub-stomp games. In the comment section of this particular tweet, however, many players and proxy artists came out in defense of using proxies, And it wasn't the tweet itself, but one specific comment from Breezy of the Nitpicking Nerds that made them the main character of MTG Twitter. Which, as I said, is never a role in which one wants to be cast. No, no, it is not. In rebuttal to a commenter asking what exactly was wrong with proxies, Breezy took it upon themselves to compare a preference for not playing with or against proxies to... Bodily autonomy. That's right, folks. We couldn't make this up if we wanted to, and we wouldn't want to. It takes a special kind of perspective to want to compare a card game preference to people's ability to do what they want with their own bodies, but here we are. Breezy later apologized for their misuse of the expression, but the damage was done. Many of the more prominent social voices in the MTG community, like Ryan, a.k.a. Barbarian's Riddle, Michelle, formerly of the Lorgoifs, and Hobbs Q of the Goblin Lore Podcast, all made quite frank remarks about this comment. For any of our listeners who don't know this, but definitely should, it's not a great idea to use bodily autonomy to support an argument you make during a discussion that is totally unrelated to bodily autonomy. If you do, you might be the next main character of MTG Twitter, which, for the third time, no one wants for themselves. And now that we've said bodily autonomy so many times it has entirely lost all meaning, continuing on with the bad takes train is our next story. We've gone on record numerous times as a team saying that NFTs are a Ponzi scheme scam and pyramid scheme all rolled into one. Gang, does that opinion still stand? 100% yes. Absolutely. Indubitably. Great! Unfortunately, there are still those within the MTG community who do not share this view. Because far too many people in the internet are out of touch with reality. Well, you would know. 
Yes, that's why I said it. Never mind. Recently, one team got a copyright infringement notice from Wizards of the Coast over their particular NFT choices. This group, known as MTG DAO, had made known their plans to create their own digital-only format of magic, independent of Arena or Mitgo. Because instead of just making a format with a point system, like everyone else does, if you do it high-tech, it's better somehow. Because blockchain. I thought it was a DAO. Well, yes. For our listeners unfamiliar with the term, DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. They're supposed to be entirely controlled by their membership, hence the autonomous in the name. Clearly, there were organizers here. Yes, the idea is you set it up, people buy in, and then it's entirely run by the code without further interference from a human. They like to say code is law. Once you set it up, the code governs everything. So what happens if something comes up that the code didn't account for? That is an excellent question! And? I don't think anyone's worked that out yet. Are you sure these things are really happening? Oh, definitely! Which means so much coming from you. So what was this particular one supposed to actually do? They would, according to their website, give 50% of the minted crypto tokens to represent cards equally to all players, holding the remaining 50% in reserve to sell later. This would allegedly reduce scarcity and allow access to the tokens for many people, which is definitely what cryptocurrency and NFTs are known for. I'll be completely honest. I, I'm not entirely sure what that means. That's okay, I read their entire white paper. And you understood that gobbledygook? Yes! Somehow I'm not surprised by that. Really? It just looks like they want to recreate Arena with more card scarcity. There's a very complicated NFT minting system where they're very excited about the fact that you can always get your exact investment back because you can always dust your cards for the same crypto you put in. I understand that many players are very upset with the arena economy, but I don't believe that the way to fix the arena economy is to somehow increase card scarcity. Oh, it's worse than that. They basically went, what if you combined arena with the gold standard? Oh, so they really do just want to create arena. Play ladder and all. And this is just scratching the surface. We don't have time to do a truly detailed breakdown of the absurdities of the white paper, even if it is mostly saying very simple things in a lot of words. But the real question is, why did they think they would actually get away with this? The same reason the people who decided to reinvent vending machines by calling them bodegas and making them a startup thought they'd get away with that. This is one of your imaginary things, isn't it? have imaginary things, but other people believe in this one, yes. It's online. It was a whole thing. When MTG Dow went public with their intentions, they were quick to receive a surprisingly nice email from the Wizards legal team. This particular legal team commended MTG Dow's passion for the game, but made sure to address 
very heavily why they were wrong. In fact, the email went so far as to state, quote, you appear to be under the mistaken impression that the project would be legal, end quote, due to the way that the cards would be distributed. They proceeded to include more detail about why that's wrong, basic copyright law, and added a warning to MTG Dow not to proceed with their plan. In a follow-up post, MTG Dow informed the public, unnecessarily to be quite frank, that they were not aware of how copyright law works and used an abbreviation NGMI to imply that Wizards is not going to make it except that they have for over 30 years. But sure, their lack of willingness to cooperate on this pyramid scheme is what will do them in. Speaking of wizards and NFTs... Oh, do we have to? Unfortunately, yes. It's why we're here. Fine. Go ahead. One portion of the email also referred to wizards still deciding their future regarding NFTs, which reignited the community's concerns regarding exactly that decision. NFTs, the modern mana vortex, sucking in money and time, giving nothing but pain, loss, and environmental degradation in return. Speaking of returns, we'll return after this short break. And when we do, a new super drop is coming. A hedge fund is trying to free wizards and more. This Saturday, February 26th in the MTG Nexus Arena. Join Wildfire, Kaburi, Segris, and special guest Infinitokens for the Token Shenanigan Showdown. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash mtgnexus. Be there, see the tokens, watch the plays, maybe even subscribe. twitch.tv slash mtgnexus. Super Drop brought us many delightful ideas, so we'll go to Diz to hear more about them. Diz? Thanks, Kit. There are eight total layers to get through, so let's get the ball rolling with the hard-hitting, high-kicking secret layer X Street Fighter set. This one we knew a while ago was coming, but now we know even more. It features eight cards that all represent iconic characters from the game franchise. These characters are E. Honda, Sumo Champion, Ryu, World Warrior, Ken, Burning Brawler, Blanca, Furious Friend, Chun-Li, Countless Kicks, Dalsim, Pliable Pacifist, Guile, Sonic Soldier, and Zenjif, the Red Cyclone. I cannot believe we did not get M. Bison in a card. There is a secret card that is supposed to join them, so who knows? Our next secret layer is sure to pull your heartstrings, Lil Walkers. This layer has five Planeswalker cards and chibi-style artwork by Uda Natsume. These planeswalkers are Tamiya, Moon Sage, Ajani, Mentor of Heroes, Angroth, the Flame Chained, Ashiok, Dream Render, and Soren, Grim Nemesis. Each of these will be borderless to get the most cuteness in one card possible. Admittedly, even Ashiok is kind of adorable in this style. Tamiya's is bittersweet, though. It is indeed. 
The third layer follows our newest Planeswalker character in introducing Kaito Shizuki. Five cards have him on new artwork demonstrating his acrobatic and ninja skills. He can be seen on Brain Freeze, Bribery, Snap, Unmask, and Shadow of Doubt. This isn't the only story-themed layer in the Super Drop though, as Kamagawa, the manga, the cards joins it. Five more cards appear here, each featuring an art panel from the Kamagawa Neon Dynasty manga. Here you can find Idyllic Tutor, Swords to Plowshares, Solve the Equation, Praetor's Grasp, and Veil of Summer. The last few are all unique art treatments, starting with special guest artist Yuko Shimizu. The four cards will be Hokori Dust Drinker, Kira Great Glass Spinner, Eidolon of the Great Revel, and Elvish Spirit Guide, all done in very distinctive style. The only secret layer not available in both foil and non-foil is Showcase Neon Dynasty, which features the neon ink treatment on four older cards. Ghostly Prison, Freed from the Real, Boseju Who Shelters All, and Hall of the Bandit Lord. That one seems to have a surprising amount of straight value in it. Surprising how? Because it's a secret layer? I mean, basically. Well, no need to worry about that being a trend, as the next layer contains nothing but cards that have been reprinted into the ground. Pictures of the floating world features the five hideaway lands, all printed in the ukiyo-e style. So while this layer is certainly gorgeous, the resale value may not quite be what players want from a land set. The final layer is perhaps the most unique of the lot. Shades Not Included is a set of five basic lands, one of each type, in a synth-slash-tron style. But what makes them so unique is something I'll let the two of you discuss. Jank? Thank you, Diz. The uniqueness that Diz just mentioned about the, about the Shades Not Included layer is a landmark triumph for artists within the MTG community. Proxy artist Ben Schnuck, also known as Ben Makes Magic, is the first fan artist to ever get their own secret lair. This is a landmark decision by Watsi, and could signal a huge turn in the way Wizards handles custom artworks and the artists that make it. Other proxy artists, like Sheepwave, were ecstatic for Ben, both as fellow artists and as close friends. We look forward to seeing what may come of this decision with future products. Our next story, a hedge fund that is a partial shareholder of Hasbro, has begun a social media movement to have the Wizards of the Coast vision become independent again. Alta Fox Capital Management Inc. has nominated five potential directors to the Hasbro board. They believe that Hasbro is, to put it bluntly, slowing Watsi down and that Watsi could do much better. Alta's plan seems to be having one of their choices for directors redirect emphasis and financial investment into the Wizards brands, as they are the company's biggest profit sources. Among the nominees is John Finkel, one of the most decorated Magic veterans to ever play the game. The other four nominees are Matthew Calkins, founder of the Apian Corporation, Marcelo Fisher, CFO of the IDT Corporation, Ronnie Hublot, one principal of Incline Strategies, LLC, and Carolyn Johnson, former CTO of American International Group, Inc. Whether this goes anywhere remains to be seen, but we'll be sure to tell you if it does. Next up, ISO is here to tell us all about the weekend's arena open and the prizes involved. Thank you, Kit. 
The arena open will begin the day after this episode's release, and it's another limited one in what is being hailed as the best overall limited format in years. Day one will feature best of one or best of three sealed, with any competitor who gets four wins for best of three and seven for best of one earning a day two slot. All players will receive an entry prize of the Phyrician script, Jingataxius, Progress Tyrant card style. The entry fee is slightly higher than we're used to seeing for these, with a 5,000 gem or 25,000 gold price point, but the prizes have increased in tandem. Day 2 will be best of 3 draft, and any day 2 players will get the entry fee of 5,000 gems back as a prize, with 3 wins being the threshold for a profit. 3 wins gets 7,500 gems, 4 wins 10,000, 5 wins 25,000, and 6 wins starts the cash prizes. 6 wins equals $1,000, with 7 giving $2,000 and 8 netting a cool $2,500. Both 7 and 8 wins allows a player to earn a qualifying token for the upcoming March Qualifier Weekend. We'll be sure to keep you updated as more events develop. Kit. Thanks, ISO. We're going to head to another break, and when we come back, we have a particularly crabby guest on News Brews and a seeming error with some of the packs. Throughout the multiverse, there are legends and there are wonders. Some things that seem inexplicable are merely clever applications of magic. This show is not about those. This show is about the multiverse's true mysteries. The ones that no one has been able to explain until now. Through painstaking research, discussions with experts, and often life-threatening exploration, we have found the truth. Open your mind. Join us on this journey into the Mana Vortex. Coming soon to WNX Ads. Welcome back. And this edition on News Brews, I am joined by Ruin Crab. Uh, Crabby, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, it is our pleasure to have you on. So why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about who Krabby is and how you play Magic? Uh, well, my name is Ruin Crab. Uh, I just got into Commander a month ago. Uh, I played a lot of Standard on Arena, uh, mostly aggro. Uh, so I was... But when I first started building this commander deck, I was actually watching um, an episode of Game Nights where they were building nostalgia decks. And that got me Ooh. thinking about nostalgia I had for old magic cards back when I played a long time ago. I won't say how long ago because I'm not that old. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what it got me thinking. Like, how can I play with these cards again? Because I really miss them. And then I was like, I could build a commander deck around them. Very true. If it makes you feel any better, you're by no means the oldest guest we've ever had. I mean, we've had Hobbs from the Goblin Lore Pod on here before, so. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Okay, I, so I, will say, I will say it was original Mirrodin standard block, which was about 18 years ago. Give or take, because no longer ago give than that, take. wasn't it? I don't know. You know what? I'll look it up later. I... <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we'll say 18 and hope for no more. <laughs> exactly. So speaking of your commander deck, uh, with your nostalgia cards, who is the general or the commander for this deck? Uh, so my commander is Psy Master Thopterist. All right. Yeah. Two and a blue, make some Thopters. <laughs> I mean, that is that is technically correct, yeah. <laughs> okay, so for yeah, our listeners... Whenever you cast an artifact spell, create a 1-1 one, one Thopter. There we go, and he is a 1-4 by himself. Um, and you can use those he Thopters is. to draw some cards later if you need to. So yeah, you can tap to sacrifice two artifacts to draw a card. I pretty much never use that ability, at least not yet. All right. Um, well, what are the what are the meat and potatoes of this deck? What's the main goal, the finish line you want to get to? So it is technically a mono blue deck, but it's mostly artifacts. the The main goal is to just pump out a bunch of Thopter tokens and use them to beat down my opponents in the air. I can either generate a bunch of Thopters and pump them up, or I can generate a bunch of Thopters and use them to pump up other creatures. What are some of the veggies or the supporting spells and creatures that you use to push forward for this? So, uh, I would say the main, I guess... uh, Aside from generating a bunch of Thopters, the main ways that those Thopters help me win are the classic coat of arms to make them all huge. Uh, but then I also mm-hmm. have some old classic cards. Uh, I have Broodstar, Arcbound Ravager, and Arcbound Crusher, which can all get very big very quickly. <laughs> I'm sorry, brood star are just not words that I've heard in in the same sentence together in a while. <laughs> right? Uh, could you I, I, I told tell you our I had, what that I is? I had nostalgia for original Mirrodin. So brood star <laughs> is a star star creature that costs two blue and eight generic mana, so ten mana, but it has affinity for artifacts, so it costs one less to play, one less to cast for each artifact I control. It has flying, and its power and toughness are each equal to the number of artifacts I control. So if I have eight artifacts out, suddenly I have an 8-8 eight, eight flyer for two mana, which is pretty good. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the art of this, and it brings and to mind... that's not hard fact- to do. No, it's not at all. Um, it brings to mind the fact that magic doesn't really have a clear definition of what beast is because this thing definitely looks like a whale or a leviathan, but they've got it as a uh, beast type. So, <laughs> like an artifact beast. Well, you also think, too, this this was original Mirrodin. This was a long time ago. They probably didn't have quite as much fleshed out about different creature types. No, but if you look at any beasts, any five beasts from the last two years of cards, you're not going to see a lot better as far as similarities between them other than having legs and teeth. No, I would say it's more like an artifact whale or something like that. Exactly. It looks like a whale or a fish at bare minimum. A flying, flying artifact whale. I mean, we have Sky Sovereign, right? 
Yeah. The other the other really fun one is Arcbound Crusher. I don't know if you are familiar with that card or not. I am peripherally familiar with it. I I was not playing during original Mirrodin, but I was playing not long <laughs> after it. So don't I don't want to be called a whippersnapper. So it's it's a four mana artifact creature with a modular one, which means it comes into play with one plus one plus one counter on it. Uh, it has trample, and then whenever another artifact comes into play, not just on my board, any board, I put a plus one plus one counter on Arcbound Crusher. That is some really fun wording so, for you, then. Yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's another card in the deck called Sharding Sphinx, which is the best name in Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I I admit so that's what, one that always gets me. Exactly. I can't say it without giggling. But uh, so what ha- what happens with Sharding Sphinx is it's a 4-4 <laughs> flyer, and whenever an artifact creature I control deals combat damage to a player, I create a 1-1 blue Thopter. So you can imagine if, you know, 8 Thopters becomes 16, and you can imagine how big the Broodstar and the Crusher can grow very quickly. Yeah, those definitely would be problems for the uh, for the uh, opposite side of the table there. All right, so exactly. uh, so that's the general goal of the deck: just build a bunch of thopters. Makes complete sense. So, what would you say is your personal spice or sweetness for this deck? Like, what's what's the thing you put in here? Not because it's good, but because you just really love the card. So. <laughs> the original card that got me thinking about building a deck and it doesn't really f- like fit in the deck all that well but it's like my favorite card of all time and I had to put it in is Memnark. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> so it was originally going to be the commander and then I was informed that that would be a bad idea because <laughs> everyone would hate me. So I was like, okay, I'll just make it a side deck, but I'm still going to put Memnark in the 99 because I have to have Memnark in there somewhere. Yeah, that that was probably the right decision. Whoever told you that gave you some pretty solid advice. Yeah, and uh, I do run one other card in the deck that works very well with Memnark, and that is Micus and Vladis. <laughs> oh my god. I just so on the off chance that the thopters don't work, I can always just turn everything into an artifact and then gain control of everything. Because why would you need to use your own artifacts when you can use everybody else's? Exactly, especially if I have unwinding clock out, so I can untap all my lands every turn and just steal everything. But that's that's just some extra spice that's hidden in the deck. That's not the main point of the deck. What's the secret? It's just a happy little surprise if it can happen. <laughs> yeah, a happy little surprise like Phyrexian Bob Ross. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just a happy little surprise. Oh, look! Here's Memnark and Micah Centlatus. I'm taking all your stuff. Happy little surprise. Well, have you had? You said you've only been playing Commander for about a month, and this is the only deck you have in shape right now. Uh, have you been able to play it very many times? Yeah, I've I've actually built a, a couple of other decks now, uh, but this was the first deck. This is the main deck. This is the the best deck. Um, I have played it several times actually. 
like uh, quite often. I've played it on um, a couple of streams. I've played a lot over Spell Table. Okay. Um, do you have any particularly memorable stories about not even necessarily winning with it, just really fun stuff you've done with the deck? Um, most recently, the the really fun one was I had Kaldotha Forge Master out. I don't know if you're familiar with that card. That makes everything indestructible, um, I want to say. But I... No, so Kaldotha Forge Master is tap it, sacrifice three artifacts, search your library for an artifact card, and put it onto the battlefield. Right. But you do get the where this is going. So someone decided that I was a threat and tried to cast a board wipe. So I used Kaldotha Forge Master to search up Darksteel Forge and make all my artifacts <laughs> oh. indestructible. Oh no. <laughs> that was that was that was pretty fun. <laughs> well, another fun one with Kaldotha Forge Master was I managed to kill three players at once by using him to flash in a coat of arms during combat. <laughs> it's just a few thopters. What's the worst that can happen? Boom. Exactly. <laughs> or, um... The, fir- the first time I played this on a stream, um, I didn't end up winning this game, but I still did something really fun. Was um, I played I played on this stream, and on during the end step before my turn, I Cyclonic Rifted. So I had a free board. I had a 2020 Arcbound Crusher and a 1717 Master of Ethereum, which is also power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts I control. So I managed to kill two players on one turn just with those two creatures, basically. That was that pretty would, fun. Yeah, that would do it. Alright, um, that just about wraps us up. Uh, where can our listeners find you? They can find me on Twitter at RuinCrab, surprisingly enough. Um, and I'm also in a few different uh, commander discords now. So I'm always happy to talk magic, play magic. So feel free to hit me up. We definitely will. All right. Thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Ruin Crab's deck list will be in the show notes. Our final story, the shrine token from the new card, Goshintai of Life's Origin, is supposed to be a set booster exclusive token. However, there seems to have been an issue regarding the token's inclusion. Star City Games and several other retailers have reported opening zero copies of the token, despite opening several hundred boxes in the meantime. The Mana Vortex got it! As of yet, it's unclear whether more tokens have been found, but we'll be sure to keep you updated. In the meantime, if you don't want to pay several dollars or more for one token, we will Always recommend Infinite Tokens to suit those needs. That's all this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.